Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture, Wobblers Live, where we talk about today's hottest topics on policy, faith, and the culture, always from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. My name is Rick Green. I'm America's Constitution coach and a former state legislator. I'm here with David Barton. He is America's premier historian and the founder of Wall Builders. And Tim Barton's with us. He's a national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders. Most importantly, we're glad you are with us and you are going to love today's program. It's going to be very exciting. But before we get to that, I want to encourage you to visit our websites, wallbuilders.com and wallbuilderslive.com at that wallbuilderslive.com website. There is a ton of information, including archives of the program from previous weeks. If you missed those, you can grab them right now at our website and get caught up. Some great interviews in there, some great presentations, lots of good information to equip and inspire you to be a good citizen and help us restore America's Constitution. And one of the best ways you can do that is click on the Contribute button there at wallbuilderslive.com and make that one-time or monthly donation. Here we are at the end of the year, perfect time for you to make that end-of-the-year tax-deductible donation. It's how this program works. We're a listener-supported program, so thank you, all of you out there from all across the nation, so many different places that uh, folks contribute and help us do this. Thank you for doing that. And for those of you that haven't done that yet and have been thinking about it, now is the perfect time. We would sure appreciate it. All right, David and Tim, let's dive into the Foundations of Freedom questions that we're getting from audience members across the nation. For those that would like to send a question, it's radio at wallbuilders.com. Joe Shoemaker. Man, Joe, we used to answer questions from you all the time, but it's been a while, so thanks for sending this one in. Joe's question is... At Christmas time, I asked for books and videos by David Barton and Rick Green. I'm curious whose books do David Barton and Rick Green ask for? <laughs> so I guess what books do we read, guys? Maybe is that what he's asking? I think what what do you, what, what do we read at Christmas time? Yeah, I think that's and that's a great question too. I I had not thought about what I read per se in, in terms of writing it down or recognizing genres, but you answer first, Rick. What what books do you want? What books do you like reading? What's your entertainment for reading? Well, I, I have to say, when I when I ask for gifts of, of books, well, I, I guess this would fit the same category, books that I download on, on Audible and listen to, or books that I ask for for Christmas. Um, if it's an entertainment book, so it's not a learning-type book, I'm, I'm kind of a spy novel guy, so I love Vince Flynn. I read his books. Uh, I like uh, Mark, and of course, he passed away. Kyle Mills now writes his series for him. And I like uh, I like Mark Dawson books. Um, uh, some of the one some of the best ones I've gotten over the last few months. Uh, conservatism is a is a great one that I highly recommend. I actually had my uh, my kids. I bribed my kids to read it. I said anybody that reads that book by Christmas night gets an extra bonus in their stocking uh, stuffer. So uh, cash is what I mean there, uh, folks. Um, so anyway, that that that's a really good one. And then Dennis Prager's. Rational Bible. Uh, I, I'm telling you, folks, if you haven't gotten that, you got to get that one. And then the Founder's Bible, of course. I took everybody through it on social media this year. We read through the whole thing, just finished Revelation, uh, let's see, what, Thursday. And so we're now adding a little extra towards the end of the year. But that that's the list I recommend for everybody. Now, Rick, I, I didn't hear you say Jack Carr. I haven't read Jack Carr books. Oh, are they, my are goodness. They good? Okay. No, you like them, huh? Oh, they were great. Now it's very grown up, right? It's 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 military, but oh man, yeah the 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 terminal list, um, the whole series. Uh, oh, he wrote terminal list. Oh, he's the he's the former Navy SEAL himself. Right? Correct. Uh-huh. Correct. Okay. So yes. He's, he's okay. five books in. Sixth one coming out this next year. Um, it is 
I mean, all kinds of action. Again, it's a grown-up, right? This is like, you know, think think Patriot, Mel Gibson, American Revolution, um, right? But it's it's a more modern setting. So it's it's a very grown-up thing because there's a lot of bad guys who are terminated along the way <laughs> in right? some pretty significant ways. But, yeah, so— Actually, I'm glad you said that, Tim, because I should give a warning with the Vince Flynn books. is definitely a heavy language uh, uh, thing there, too. In fact, that first time I gave a Vince Flynn book to one of my boys, I'm not kidding you. I liked it so much, but I, and I wanted them to read it, that I went through— <laughs> And I used a black marker to take out some of the worst words and then gave it to him. So anyway, yeah, be ready for that. Well, and I can actually tell you, growing up, uh, our, our family, we traveled in that 15-passenger van, and we had several of them. You remember some of those. Um, and we, my mom, would, it was before Audible, right? And, and for anybody, I mean, this is, people probably don't even know, remember. So there were places like Cracker Barrel or Love's Truck Stop that you actually could rent a, a cassette That's book. That's right. And, right, you listen to it. At the next Cracker Barrel, you turn them in. At the next Love Stop, you turn them in, and you can rent another one. And so we we would at times listen to things cassette. But so Louis L'Amour, his entire series, it was not yet available on cassette. Uh, but my dad loved the stories. And so my mom would get the books, and she would read them out loud in the van as my dad was driving. And so growing up, I heard every single Louis L'Amour. I didn't know. There was a single curse word in any Louis L'Amour book because when my mom was reading it, she <laughs> she never read it out loud. Well, she also would read them all with a pen. And so every now and then she would just make a mark on a page and I never thought about it. Well, when I got older and got one of those books to, to actually read the story for myself, I realized that she had gone through and every time there was a curse word, she just marked it out with a pen. So even rereading the books, it's totally, there's no language anywhere in the books. Uh, totally just Westerns, no language, but... Uh, definitely along the lines of of what you did for your sons. Anyway, with with you saying some of the books you liked, I was just a little surprised that Jack Carr was not on the list. It needs to be on your list. It is phenomenal. Yep. All right, man. I'm checking that one out. And by the way, I forgot two of my, two, two of my favorite books from this 2022 uh, reading were definitely Eric Metaxas' Letter to the American Church. Absolutely phenomenal. And uh, and then uh, Pete Hexess' The uh, Battle for the American Mind. So there's two more recommendations just from from the ones I read this year. All right, David. I know Louis Lamar's on your list. It's got to yeah, be. Absolutely. It, it, yeah. And Vince Flynn. I've gone through all the Vince Flynn things a bunch of times. And yeah, there's a lot of language there, a lot of action. I mean, it is a lot of action. Um, it sounds like maybe Carr in some ways. So those, but also Earl Stanley Gardner. I do a whole lot of Earl Stanley Gardner. And it's weird because I kind of take things that are totally opposite to what I normally really do reading. I enjoy reading history stuff because I'm learning stuff all the time. I really like learning. I hope people never, ever, ever get tired of learning. I hope they don't think that I'm out of school so I don't have to learn anymore. Really bad thing. That's not a good attitude. You always want to be a learner. You always want to be a student. You always want to be growing in your knowledge. And so things I've read recently that I've really gotten into, strangely enough, are are things like the Wyoming Valley Massacre. Uh, That's a, a place up in Pennsylvania in the American Revolution. And just it was a really bad incident that was kind of characteristic of several that happened in that time that, that set a lot of tone for what happened in history thereafter. But, you know, who's ever heard of the Wyoming Valley Massacre or things like the, the Africa Squadron? Much as I've done in history, I'd never heard about the African Squadron. And then suddenly I'm finding all sorts of cool stuff on it, and I'm going back. And so I, I was just reading the the uh, writings. There's three pieces done by the guy who was the commander of what the African squadron is. I didn't even know we had this, but it goes back to the end of, of really the war of 1812. 
when we write the peace treaty in 1815, we say, hey, and so they said, you know, the slave trade, this has got to stop. We both passed laws in 1807, said the slave trade's got to stop. So we may be enemies on the battlefield, but we're allies in fighting the slave trade. And so we agreed to send both of our navies off the west coast of Africa to patrol there and stop ships that are trying to come there to get slaves or take slaves. I didn't know we were doing that kind of stuff in the Navy. We did it all the way through 1861. And so... This is the 1850s when I found this stuff on on Admiral Foote, and he's one of the first rear admirals we've ever had in, in, in the Navy. And he's talking about all the stuff that they've stopped off the coast of Africa. I didn't know we had anti-slavery efforts going like that back then at that point in time with the Navy. And, and so I, I've had a, a real blast going back and, and reading things like that. And I even got into, of all people, James Monroe's autobiography. And it's not because I think Monroe's a great president, but I just was— really intrigued with his, he, he's one of the three guys that got wounded at, at the Battle of Trenton, where the, Washington crossed the Delaware, did the surprise attack. And he goes through all the details of how he got wounded and what was going on in the battle. And I feel like it's a Vince Flynn novel, except, you know, written 200 years ago with, with Monroe. And so that's the kind of stuff I enjoy reading. And I guess it pertains to what we do, but man, history is a blast. And whether it's Western history or military history with you know, Flynn or Carr, these other guys, that's the kind of stuff I enjoy reading. Yeah. Hey, Tim, how about you? So I was just thinking about that as you guys were talking. Obviously, uh, Louis L'Amour is on the list, but there's some books that um, I, I try to go through every year, like in Mere Christianity, obviously go through the Bible every year, um, things that, that help really equip the mind and the spirit on some level. Uh, but there's several books that I went through this year that were super helpful. I, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old quickly coming up on them being two and four. There was a book I read called Parenting Without Regrets by uh, Jimmy and Laura Siebert that, man, it was so good. Christian family, things they did strategically uh, to help their kids. Several military books I uh, read along the way this year. I also went back and uh, listened to the whole Chronicles of Narnia series again. It's been a while since uh, I'd gone through that. You mentioned Dennis Prager's The Rational Bible. Uh, I'm going through that right now. And we, I mean, I can go down a list and, and I do go through way more books on Audible because I spend way more time in airports and on uh, planes and, and driving than anything else. I almost said planes, trains, and automobiles, and I realized that's <laughs> that's a different movie, not what we're talking about right now. Um, but I'd certainly, I would recommend The Rational Bible. I would certainly recommend Parenting Without Regrets. And then these other classics like A Mere Christianity. If people haven't read that, such a good foundational thought um, some deep theology in there. Chronicles of Narnia, such a fun series along the way. Um, lots of other great entertainment books. The Jack Carr series. Went through all of those this year because I, I finally just had somebody uh, turn me on to them uh, before the Terminal List came out on Amazon Prime, I think is where that was with Chris Pratt. Anyway, a lot of good books out there. And as you mentioned, your the, the Eric Metaxas Letter to the American Church, I read that one. Man, it was phenomenal. So good. And it was a little ironic on some level to me because a lot of what he was saying are things that literally we've been saying for a couple of years, but he wrote it down, synthesized right. it. It was a great synopsis uh, just on, and even some of the work he had done uh, going back to World War II and some of the lessons learned along the way back there uh, with his massive thesis on Bonhoeffer. Anyway, a lot of good books out there, but Parenting Without Regrets was one that I really enjoyed this year and didn't think I was going to. My wife had to talk me into it. And I kept telling her, fine, I'll read it. And she says, it's so good. It's so good. And I just thought it was you know, going to be good on like this emotional appeal level. And I wasn't really excited about it. it. No, it was super practical and helpful as a young parent trying to figure out how we're going to raise our kids in a godly home and, 
in a world that doesn't encourage godliness, in a, in a world that is actually fighting against the very values and things we want our kids to know, there were such great practical examples, stories, tips, and advice along the way of things you can do. And we've already started implementing some of those things in our own house this year. So I would highly recommend that book. Man, good stuff, guys. So so much. Um, you know, it, it's encouraging to know that that we can learn that wisdom from others uh, in, in in all of these different areas, whether it's education or, or our kids, or you know, certainly. By the way, reiterate once again, as you mentioned, Tim, reading through the Bible once a year. Um, you know, David, you were the one that really kind of pounded that into me twenty gosh twenty five years ago, and I started making it a habit. You know, based on the founding fathers and how important you said it was, and it, and it, I, I just can't recommend that enough. And of course. Um, you know, Founders Bible is the one that that, that I use, and I, I think is the best way to do it if you're a history lover, especially, and if you care about the country, because it has so much application of the Bible to what's going on in the culture right now. So, a lot of great recommendations. I was just thinking of one other. I got I got to throw, well, and actually one for for Tim and on the on the kiddos, um, Zig Ziglar's How to Raise Positive Kids in a Negative World. I learned so much from that one. We've actually got an audio version of that from him that that Karen and I did an intro and an outro to. Um, and because it just little things, even about how to put the kids, you know, to bed at night and, and, uh, you know, all, all just all kinds of really, really good stuff. So another recommendation there, but this was kind of a weird one. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, uh, this series or not, but the more we talk about these spy novels, Kurt Schlichter has this, has this incredible series that he wrote like five or six or eight years ago. And it's about America split, uh, split red, blue, and how crazy left wing these blue states go. And how they end up with these woke militaries that are so ineffective because they're more worried about pronouns than whether or not they have, um, you know, ammunition. Anyway, uh, it's a fun read, and it's and it's very predictive of a lot of the stuff that's happened. I hope it's not predictive of the nation actually splitting, but it gives you an idea of what that would be like. And the character in there, Kelly Turnbull, is kind of like a, uh, you know, like the 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 Jack Carr. Uh, character. So anyway, there's one more for you folks, Kurt Schlichter, and it's called The People's Republic. Okay, uh, we got to take a break and we'll come back and maybe get one more question in before the day's over. This is fun just doing recommendations. We could finish out the program on this. Stay with us, folks. You're listening to Wall Builders, and it is a Foundations of Freedom Thursday. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity. If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. We're back here at Wobbler Thanks for staying with us on this Foundations of Freedom Thursday. And uh, fun giving everybody recommendations of what we've been reading this year. That, maybe we ought to make that a tradition. So maybe, Joe Shoemaker, you will just save your email question, and we'll do that again next year, maybe between Christmas and uh, New Year's, and talk about what we read 
for the year. But let's get to a more policy question that's just happened uh, just a week or so ago. The um, the destruction of Marriage Act or disrespect for Marriage Act happened. And so here's a question from Brian in, I don't know, guys, have you ever been to Latitz, Pennsylvania, L-I-T-I-T-Z? I guess that's how you say that. I would say that's uh, got to be central Pennsylvania, maybe the German influence there, maybe yeah, that's part of the Amish yeah. Mennonite area. But I've never heard of it, and I've been all over Pennsylvania, which... You know, it doesn't mean anything. There's how many hundreds of thousands of communities right. there, but it's new to me. Well, thanks for sending in the question, Brian. And uh, the question goes like this. Hey, guys, the Respect for Marriage Act, which we know actually is the Disrespect for Marriage Act, is something that seems to be flying under the radar in the church right now. Can the Supreme Court overturn this if enough states push back? As I have been through the Constitutional Live course and I'm teaching it to high schoolers this year. Whoa, way to go, man. Thank you, Brian, for doing that. The government's job is to protect marriage along with allowing states to their rights. It seems this bill is at the very least the beginning of the end of federalism. Very aggravated that 12 Republicans voted with the left. Sorry for ranting, but my question is still, will this end up in the Supreme Court? Love you guys. Brian. Okay, Brian. Um, yeah, and, and David, actually, as he was describing that, I can picture that part of Constitutional Live where we're sitting in the library and you and you uh, put up a, uh, a, a an old Texas Supreme Court case and some other cases talking about it used to be understood that marriage is not something government created or gets to define. Uh, it's defined by our uh, faith and by the Bible. And so, um, man, here we are all these years later. I think we recorded that, what, in 2014 when we were sitting in your library, and now the Supreme Court has basically said, no more federalism. Your state doesn't get to decide. Other states can decide for you. What do y'all think in terms of the future with a challenge to the you know through the court? I, I have a hard time believing the court would, would step in on this after the the previous cases, but maybe the changes in the quarter are enough. I don't know. This is a great question. Yeah, it's a question we've been investigating with some attorneys and others uh, just looking around the fringes with it. And one of the things I think is fair here is it's a great question about federalism. Is this the beginning of the end of federalism? And let's first kind of put that out there. I was surprised to find that most people in America have a negative view of federalism. It's like huh. they think it is the increase of the federal government. We don't want more federal government. That's federalism. Oh, they hear federalism That's and they're right. thinking federal government instead of what That's a federal right. government actually means. They just think of our current government. That's right. They think more feds. Federalism is more of the feds. And that's not what it is. This is one of the, the actually most positive words from the American founding is federalism. It was part of checks and balances and separation of powers. So just like they had checks and balances between the three branches that the president and the Congress and um, the Supreme Court each have ways to check the other if they get out of bounds, the question then became, all right, who checks the federal government if it all gets out of bounds? And the answer was the states. And so the states, and that is federalism, that the, the federal government gets to do 17 things. They're listed in the Constitution, and the states get to do everything else. Uh, there's a great speech that James Madison gave in 1791 that it looked even back then that the federal government was starting to move beyond those 17 issues. And he goes in and he talks about the fact he said, this is this is crazy. He says the federal government doesn't have any authority over religion or education or teachers or schools. It doesn't have any authority over social programs or welfare or roads and infrastructure. It doesn't have any any authority over crime and, and law enforcement. And think about every one of those issues. He said, this is crazy to think that the federal government would ever get into this. And now they're into every single one of those issues. So federalism is, okay, there's only 17 things the feds can get into. Everything else goes to the states. 
Guess what? There is absolutely zero in the Constitution that allows marriage to be part of what the feds get into. But by the way, there's absolutely zero in the Constitution that allows the feds to get into agriculture or private property or climate or anything else. And they're into all of that. So federalism is really putting the feds back in the box. It's putting Pandora back in the box. It's not opening Pandora's box. It's putting the genie back in the in the bottle. That's what it's supposed to mean. So federalism is a really good, positive term, and people think it's negative. And so I really was surprised at the polling to see how negatively people think of federalism. They're anti-government growth, but they don't know that that's what it means. So having said that, back to where we are with, with the decision, the Disrespect for Marriage Act, uh, there, there are several things going here. One is this is the tendency that has happened over the last 40 years of America to divide itself by groups. Rather than saying all individuals get equal protection, we've got a group over here that needs more protection. And so we have to give more protection to LGBTQIA+. And instead of giving constitutional protections, we're giving group protections. Now, when you start giving groups protections, you will always penalize some other group, even inadvertently. So what happens now is by giving this protection for LGBTQIA+, you have now penalized those who have biblical values. If you believe that marriage is just to be a man and a woman, and you want to live by that, and you want to run your business by that, and if you want to conduct your private affairs by that, you no longer can. Because now, if you do that, the federal government can come after you with the federal law that says, wait a minute, wall builders, we see that you're not doing anything. I mean, wall builders, you guys are traditional marriage, and you're not doing anything to really reach out and, and help marriage situation, LGBTQIA plus community. So we're going to have to prosecute you under federal law. Now, number one, this is not a federal issue. Number two, you've got all, all the, the things that the founding fathers called the laws of nature, nature's God. Number three, this is a huge intrusion. It is, it is the weaponization of the federal government to go after biblical values. It's, it's not a good deal. And it's worth noting, too, right? This idea that they're calling it the Respect for Marriage Act. They, they are arguing we want to protect marriage. Well, 1967 is when the Loving decision happened in the U.S. Supreme Court where they said that you can't tell. And, and there were some Democrat states at that point in the South who were saying they're not going to give marriage licenses. They will not allow marriage between interracial couples. 1967, the Supreme Court said, yeah, some of you Democrats say doing this, you can't do that anymore. So 1967, interracial marriage now legal in all 50 states, according to this ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court. In 2015, you have the Obergefell decision where now homosexual marriage is recognized in all 50 states. So we already have interracial homosexual marriage. So when, when President Biden made the announcement that we're protecting now the LGBTQ plus community, well, well what else is there? Like, what what are you thinking? Because because Biden specifically said homosexuals. He said interracial. He said we want to protect those two things. Well, those are already law right now. Now, right? We can go back to the Obergefell decision and recognize that there was a lot of flaws in that decision. And really, that decision was even based on improper tax code. So the argument was that there were that, right. If you have two men or two women that that quote unquote love each other and they live together and they wanted to leave their wealth or inheritance to their lifelong partner, and the government said, well, we're not going to be able to allow you to do that like it would be to a spouse. We think you owe us more money taxes. Well, that's a tax problem. That's unjust taxes, but you don't change the entire definition of marriage. You change the tax code and policy, and really, we should be doing that anyway. Nonetheless, back up to this Defense of Marriage Act, the, the things that are significant about it is, as Biden is making these arguments, in the Defense of Marriage Act, it says we now recognize any marriage by any two individuals. Any marriage by any two individuals? So a father can marry his daughter? Right? Like, there, there's there's no prohibition of incest. There's no prohibition 
of adults and children, right? Like it is crazy. And there were individuals in Congress who tried to add amendments to protect religious organizations. And those amendments by and large were voted down or didn't even have the opportunity to be added. They weren't recognized to be added, right? So in in the process of legislation in Congress, they did not get these amendments added to protect individuals. So if, if already, right, interracial marriage, homosexual marriage is already recognized in America, and that's what they're arguing this bill does, well, the only thing left that you could argue this bill is going to do is penalize people that oppose what you are now changing, redefining marriage to be. And this is certainly a danger that there will be a lot of litigation. It, it will go to the U.S. Supreme Court, and we will see what happens once it gets there. But absolutely, the federal government is is weaponizing more and more of organizations and institutions trying to attack traditional values, Christianity, and biblical values specifically along the way. And specifically to try to hit a little bit on Brian's questions, will the court overturn this? Well, the reason they did the Dobbs decision overturning abortion of the states was they said this is not a federal issue. So that they follow the logic of Dobbs where they say, and by the way, we've already had multiple justices say that Obergefell should never have been decided because marriage is a state issue. It is not a federal issue. But we don't know that that necessarily means you're going to have five justices want to pick this case up because they got beat up so bad over just the Dobbs decision. You can imagine what will happen this time if they come out and and suddenly it appears that they're not only anti-choice, but they're anti-LGBTQ. So they're humans. They're concerned about security, everything else. But at least theoretically, they've said, look, the the reason we did Dobbs is this is not a federal constitutional issue. It therefore belongs to the states. So the precedent is out there for them to say that. The question is, will they have five that will say that? Uh, This is probably one that I would be shocked if Justice Roberts were to come down on this side because it is such a political issue. And they're trying to stay out of political issues. But sorry, you created the political issues. Now you've got to deal with the consequences of what you guys did. So I think there's a chance. I've talked to some of the Supreme Court attorneys on this. They think it's more of a remote chance just because of the climate of the time that probably it will get dealt with at some point, but they don't know this is going to be right away, which in the meantime means that we have weaponized the federal government to come after people who hold traditional beliefs on things like marriage. Yeah, it's uh, man, guys, it's a, it's a disaster. We're going to have a lot of questions on this one over the next few years as this thing is as this thing is fought, we're out of time for today, folks. Send your questions into radio at wallbuilders.com. We'll try to get to them on another Thursday. You've been listening to Foundations of Freedom Thursday on Wallbuilders. We stand undivided.